And this is water that is normally stored up in the, in the form of snow. Uh, because our climate is getting warmer, more rain than snow, but we need greater capacity. That's not Democratic. That's not Republican. And we had the bond initiative to do it. But the folks who advise the majority party on this one, I'm going to lay it at, at, at the feet of the majority party, said no more water storage and, and had their way. Yeah. And I'll just finish by saying it's just common sense, right? Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Cabot Talks. This is Brian Cabotech, the much smarter, much shorter, much older Cabotech brother and the left-leaning Cabotech brother, also former president of the Consumer Attorneys of California, the trial lawyers in California, former president of the Los Angeles County Bar Association, and a practicing lawyer and sometimes left-leaning member of the Cabotech family. My name is John Cabotech. I am the president of Cabotech Strategies, a small business public affairs and coalition building firm based in Sacramento, also serve as the California State Director of the National Federation of Independent Business, the leading small business advocacy group. I tend to be a little bit more right, right-minded, right-thinking. A little more? Just right on all things, Brian, okay? So we're going to... Except I'm funnier. Oh, that is true. Okay. That is true. I'm just a little so, taller. Hey, we're very... A lot taller. Believe me, everybody in America is a lot taller than me. <laughs> So, John, we got a great guest with us today. Why don't you introduce him? Yes, wonderful to welcome our newest guest to Cabotox, a very good friend to me personally and just a wonderful guy, Tom Campbell. Tom is a professor of economics and law at Chapman University in Orange County. Before that, Tom was a tenured professor of law at Stanford University. Is that an accredited law school? Uh, it's a junior. It's a junior university. Leland Junior. <laughs> and a tenured professor of business and the dean of the Haas School of Business at Berkeley and dean of the Fowler School of Law at Chapman. Tom has an extraordinary resume in public office. Get this. As a California state senator, he was rated the best overall and most ethical state senator by the California Journal. We sometimes think that is an oxymoron, but uh, he definitely lived up to that. As a United States congressman for five terms, he has also served as the author of the Peace Corps Reauthorization Act of 2000. And in a position where I really had the honor, the great honor of getting to know Tom personally, was during his service as Governor Schwarzenegger's Director of Finance for the state of California, where he prepared and administered the state budget of over $100 billion. Tom's been published in the Harvard Law Review and multiple other notable law reviews. He holds a PhD in economics from the University of Chicago and was an editor of the Harvard Law Review and received his JD magna cum laude from Harvard. He law clerk to Judge George E. McKinnon for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit and to Justice Byron R. White, uh, who I think you know, Brian. Well, not personally. <laughs> of the U.S. Supreme Court. He's been married to his wife, Suzanne, for 42 years, and he sleeps about 30 minutes a day, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Campbell, <laughs> welcome. Great to have you, man. Thank friend. you, John. Had a very generous introduction. <laughs> and I'm glad that your family gets along with each other. Some days. And Brian's been gone for the past month, so out of sight, out of mind, no fights, no duking <laughs> it out. Well, I was one of eight children, so I learned to get along pretty early on. In fact, I was the youngest of eight children. So I learned to spend a lot of my time listening. Well, Tom, I was an only child until I was six years, nine months and nine days old. And then John came along and ruined everything for me because you don't know what it's like to be an only child. But I did for six years and nine months and nine days. Paradise lost. All right. I have great sympathy. <laughs> I have great sympathy for you. I think you should consider a class action against your mother. <laughs> yeah, no one would sue my mother. You want to take on mom? That's yeah. one area we both agree. 
Go for it. God, being Go ordered it, to pay her attorney fees would be the least of my problems. <laughs> Tom, a lot of talk. There's something that you've been working on lately. Certainly, you're welcome to talk about anything. But I think one thing that you really would like to share is a little bit about this idea about the common sense party or common sense movement, something that we wanted to invite you to share a little bit about and have some other conversations and stuff. Tell us a little bit about, first of all, how you're doing. And also tell us about the common sense idea. You know, how did it get started? Who's involved? How did it come about? Great to have you. Thanks for, for having me. The idea is that there should be a party for the rest of us, folks who decide issues on a one-by-one basis. My, my worry is that there is an orthodoxy that's imposed by the two major parties and that running for office pretty much are not going to get the support of the party in the primary or in the general if you don't adhere to a, a pretty long list of issues, even though you might be across the aisle on two or three. Um, and ex- examples, uh, it's very hard to support any tax ever and get the support of the Republican Party. The Democratic side, um, it seems as though the opposition to school, uh, charter schools have a hard time getting the Democratic uh, nomination. There's, there's a dozen other issues. You can choose gun control, environment, water. Suppose you are, as I happen to be, pro-choice on uh, women's right to choose and pro-choice on parents' right to choose their children's school. I wouldn't have a home in either party. So to create an opportunity for people who take each issue as it comes and um, are not really able to get through the present system, the two major parties. I'm not speaking as a Republican. I'm just speaking as a Californian and perhaps as as an American as well, that single party rule uh, oftentimes is not the best way to rule. Well, you know, Tom, the interesting thing to me about this is that, you know, as someone who's been left leaning my my entire adult life, And particularly, I look around me and see other people who are, you know, in my same age range, elderly. But I mean, I see people that are sort of 40 and older, and we have become sort of dissatisfied with the direction that the left is going, you know, and and particularly in California. Some of the issues that have come up here where I don't think most Californians are sitting around thinking about whether or not the name of the Bolt Law School, for example, should be changed because of something that happened, you know, 180 years ago or something like that. And it just seems that this sort of, you know, I hate using the word wokeness because it seems like something that's so on the right. But these issues that are just coming up are so far afield of the left leaning issues that I see, you know, myself with. And I tell a, a lot of my thoughtful Republican friends that I probably agree with you on more issues than I disagree with you on. I mean, I don't know the direction. The, the Democrats are going in here in California. And a lot of them, a lot of these electeds are my friends. A lot of them first went into office when I was president, when they had the, you know, the 12 year term that they could run for. And I, I think they sort of feel the same way I do. They see that we haven't moved, but the parties kind of move more left. And I see the same sort of thing with the the Republicans. They move further right to the point where, you know, I shake my head and look at them in the same way. I don't know. It just, it just seems to me to be a bizarre direction that we're going in where we're becoming so polarized. Well, I think you are a good candidate for the common sense party. Uh, my, my feeling, Brian, is that the most Californians can find much more common ground than the two parties do. So it's a little bit of an improvement, but you still have the leadership driving the agenda. And, and I agree with you. I, I couldn't believe they took Diane Feinstein's name off of a high school or a middle school in San Francisco. And that was the business of the San Francisco school board to take names off of schools. Well, when, didn't that get them? Didn't that get them all tossed out of office in a recall? Yeah, thank God for that. But I, they, they, they were comfortable advancing that as their agenda. Why are you running for school board? Oh, you named schools, as opposed to the fact that our children are way below 
uh, where they ought to be and below national averages on literacy and, uh, and, and, and arithmetic. So, so I, I agree with you, and I, and I also agree with your comment on the, on the Republican side. In fact, to, to a large extent, Brian, it might even be worse. Going over to the conservative side doesn't trouble me. Going over to the, the uh, cult status of Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, is quite another. And I've, I've seen people who know better uh, take positions that they wouldn't have before, including recently now on the war in Ukraine, just because President Trump said so. So we are very much disturbed by the present status of the two major parties. Well, I know John will probably disagree with me on this, but I, I think this is the problem with the Republican Party in California is I think they need to divorce themselves of Donald Trump and of of the far right. And they need to sort of recast themselves as something completely different. I mean, it doesn't help when the speaker is from from California, but I think they you know, I need to do that. But oh. Listen, I think the Republican Party here needs to get focused on the real issues. You know, when we talk to people like Vince Fong, uh, assembly member from Bakersfield, Tom, you know who Vince is and used to be with Kevin McCarthy. But Vince is a good guy and he's a pretty good moderate guy, you know, but Vince has said, look, you know, we've been clamoring to be sent to those economically disadvantaged neighborhoods, neighborhoods of color, to ask the party to just get us out to the to, to, to send us out there to start sharing our message. And there's no direction, no ideas, no platform. So we have to go do it ourselves, you know? So, no, I, I don't disagree. I think there's a lot that folks are clamoring for that's just, and we're so extreme. Well, here's one operational way of helping, I think. We appear to agree that there, there is a problem, and it is that of polarization. If you wanted to run just as an independent, John Kavitek, for assembly in Sacramento, oh, uh, and you wanted to run as, a, uh, uh, as an independent, to run just as no party preferences, there are severe limits on how much money you can raise. But if you were to run a John Kapitak, choose an example, Common Sense Party, you could raise more if Common Sense Party is a recognized political party. So we're, we're not yet. We're working towards it. We need 73,000 signatures. We have about 30,000. And um, what we're pledged to do once we become qualified is to make a call on each race and help who we can. We'll help sensible Democrats, sensible Republicans, and sensible independents. And you don't even have to have the Common Sense Party label to receive the uh, support of the Common Sense Party. Well, that's why I call it the party for the rest. Tom, first of all, tell us, who are some of the others? I know there's, there's kind of a very bipartisan set of folks who have been really be, you know, behind this with you or joining forces with you. Can you name some of those folks who have been involved in this effort with you, helping to form it? I can. You'll see a whole roster, and there's Democrats and Republicans alike to CACommonSense.org. The Wilson administration, you've got Julie Meyer Wright, Quentin Pop. We do have current Democratic politicians who support us, who have asked not to have their names used yet. <laughs> and uh, so I will honor that. You just have to get out my word. Uh, we have support there as well. You might call them the Mod Dems. I think that's a phrase you've heard in Sacramento. Um, and the message to us is, as soon as you get registered, and that way we can get the advantage of the finances, we're with you. So it's broadly based. We also have uh, support of some fascinating individuals. Ron Flores is one who I particularly want to mention. He has formed a group called Basta in uh, Orange County. It does just what its name sounds like. It organizes in uh, Santa Ana and particularly in the uh, Hispanic communities, the Latino communities in uh, Southern California. And it's had a great degree of success in electing uh, local officials. And he's, uh, he's on our board. Hmm. Uh, you, you know, if I ran the if I ran the Democratic Party in California, which I clearly oh, don't. Oh, help me. 
I would oh, mother. I would lose sleep at night over Latino voters because there are so many issues that the Latino voters support that are diametrically opposed from what I think the Democratic Party, you know, supports. I think that's that's an issue. I think on the other hand, the Republicans have not done a good job of courting them. Correct. To my earlier point. Absolutely. I think you're right, Brian. So uh, from the point of view of not that the Democratic Party needs or asks for my advice, but I happen to share your judgment. They are making some sweeping generalizations regarding the Latino community that may very well be false. And they are at risk of losing the Asian American community. I agree with Brian's point that the Democratic Party might be at risk of making a uh, a serious mistake in their assumption about the Latino community. And my, my best proof of that is uh, the Proposition 209, which was adopted by Californians in 1996 to abolish the use of race by government so that the University of California did not take its students' race into account to give preference to one or another. The Democratic Party leadership attempted to get rid of that last election in Prop 16. Every uh, statewide Democratic officeholder endorsed it. And it was the official position of the Democrat Party. It was in the wake of the George Floyd murder. The vote, however, was strongly against allowing the University of California or any other agency of California state government to distinguish people on the basis of their race, to give a preference to one, get into school, uh, University of California, on the basis of race and not to another. And in making their calculus to support this, the leaders of the Democratic Party made the assumption that they would have the African-American community and the Latino community. They were dead wrong on the Latino community. They did have the support of the majority of of African-American voters, as the exit polls showed. And I think the Democratic Party is at risk of having lost the Asian-American for presenting the possibility or the real, the reality that their sons and daughters might not get a chance to get into the public university just because of their race. On the Republican side, I want to be equal-tempered in my criticism. Uh, they don't even show up. I mean, that's the point of Juan Flores in Basta. First of all, I think that the Democrats are going to have a very hard struggle in the next 25 years with the Asian community. I think that's going to be you know, a real loser for them. And I think that there's a million reasons for that, but it, they just don't line up. I mean, I think that's my own personal opinion that the Latino community is very viable. But if they continue to shift, you know, as left as they're shifting, I think they're going to continue to lose it. And I think it's a it's it's something that they need to work on. I really think that the Democratic power base in California has gotten so blinded by the power that they have and by the supermajority that they've held on to for such a long time now that it, it's very hard to reach them. You know, I, I don't think and they certainly don't listen to people like me or John or Tom or anybody else. I think they just sort of, you know, it's like they're preaching to the choir every single day. I think they require adherence, uh, even from folks in districts where the constituency may not be uh, in line. Tom, I was going to ask you, just kind of looking back at this, you know, to the time of this Cabot talk, it is March 2023. Uh, but as we look back on the November 20, 2022 election cycle, you know, what surprised you the most? You know, where did voters, the voter, the mood and the sentiment of voters either surprise you in a positive way, shock you? Are you talking about California or are you talking about nationally? Ca- California. Yeah. Anything in terms of where the tide's turning or where your thoughts are as you're looking at all of that, Tom? Uh, yeah, I'm going to recur to the example I gave. The, the vote on Prop 16 was remarkable. And I thought the vote, not to, not to interrupt John's flow here with his question, but I also thought the vote on the proposition, I can't remember the number right now, but the proposition to tax the super wealthy was very interesting. I mean, that went down in flames too, right? 
you know, I thought those, so I think you saw a lot of the initiatives uh, indicating that the, the, the state is really much more centrist than than the either the Democratic Party or the Republican attack on the Democratic Party would make you think. But we, I was happy about that. And I think that the notion that, oh, let's just tax the wealthy uh, and it have no consequences on me or let's tax corporations who own property and it won't have any effect on me is uh, is false. And that m- most California voters see through that. So that's what I say was was the biggest surprise. Yeah, Tom, what do you what did you think of the mayoral election in in Los Angeles? I mean, that was sort of a quite a clear choice between two different candidates and sort of the party champion candidate did pretty well against a extremely well-funded, wealthy guy who obviously had a very different vision for Los Angeles. Yeah, I thought that that showed, I think, the strength of Karen Bass individually and also her, her uh, organization. Tom's kind of putting your uh, your former director of finance hat on. If you were uh, in this in that seat that you were in back during the governor Arnold, yes, Brian, that's oh, my impersonation. God. This is the year. Well, Tom, Tom Campbell has some good impersonations. What did what did, what did he <laughs> used to call you, Johnny? He had a nickname for you, didn't he, Mister Cool? Because he didn't. Wore, did he yeah. say that you were Mister Cool? Uh, I had one suit, one suit in my closet at the time. Maybe I still do. That was that looked pretty slick as a state employee. And so he walked by me and said, "Yo, look here he comes, Mister Cool." I think that could go on your tombstone, Don. I'll remember it if I'm there. Believe me, it's the first <laughs> and last person that's called him Mister Cool. You're all invited <laughs> to look at my tombstone, hey, Tom. Last year, the state had billions of dollars in surplus. We are now finding ourselves here in 2023 deep in a sea of red. What what happened? How do we fix this? Our state is deep in debt again. The $27 billion surplus turned into a $23 billion deficit. That is the largest swing uh, in California finance history. And it was, you know, the reason it was the drop in the capital gains packed revenue. So we've all known that. Various administrations have tried to adjust that. Uh, Would have been wise to find more vehicles for storing up money. There's no prohibition on a a state putting more money to a rainy day fund, except the GAN limit. And so um, really getting at the wonkism here, the GAN limit uh, says that you cannot increase your percentage beyond the growth of population and inflation total expenditures and expenditures into a rainy day fund count. That needs to be changed. And uh, Governor uh, Newsom, in my judgment, made a mistake in uh, expending money from the GAN limit, the $9.8 billion, right before an election. So those are some structural changes that are needed. Change that part of the Constitution, change uh, in order to let the money go into a rainy day fund. I flew into Los. You keep mentioning the rainy day fund, and it just reminds me. I flew into Los Angeles into LAX yesterday, and I'm pretty sure as we were approaching, I saw an old man with a very large beard building an ark. Given the amount of rain that we've had recently here, and you know, the only yeah. reason I bring that that up, not just to showcase my little joke, but it's because I read a story. I was I was out of the country for a while, and I was reading a story that California has been criticized for doing a terrible job of figuring out a way to save all this water that's come in from the rain. I mean, a lot of this rain in Southern California, and it's been, I mean, inundated here, right, is washing out to the sea. 
And there's another area that somebody in Sacramento didn't keep their eye on the ball, which was, what do you do with all this water? What do you do with all this runoff? You know, there's a horrible drought we've gone through this year. And I think we're just going to come up on another year. A year later, they're going to say, oh, you're in a drought. You got to stop watering your lawns. And it's going to be this whole routine all over again. Brian, you're you're absolutely right. And it ties into our first part of our conversation. So the people of California voted for a bond initiative in 2010 to build more water storage to expand existing reservoirs, build new reservoirs, and and have more water uh, sunk into the uh, water table uh, directly through percolation. That that was the idea we all voted for. Until last year, not a single expansion of any water storage had been undertaken in 13 years under that provision. And the reason it was slow walked is because of the strong uh, opposition from the more radical environmental movement, not the sensible environmental movement, which hope to be considered part of, but the more radical, that you must not store up more water. You must let it flow to the sea. The good side of their argument is in order to guarantee the sufficient water quality for the fish, for the salmon run. But balance, for heaven's sakes, you're losing farms in the Central Valley because we don't have the water. And, and this is water that is normally stored up in the, in the, in the, in the form of snow, Oh, because our climate is getting warmer, more rain than snow, but we need greater capacity. That's not Democratic. That's not Republican. And we had the bond initiative to do it. But the folks who advise the majority party on this one, I'm going to lay it at, at, at the feet of the majority party, said no more water storage and, and had their way. Yeah. And I'll just finish by saying it's just common sense, right? Oh, I love oh. it. I love <laughs> oh, it, Brian. my God. So, so this does bring us to the point that we really enjoy the most of our program here, which is we get to ask you a series of completely benign, completely irrelevant questions about yourself so that our nine or 10 listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Eleven. So I'll, I'll let John go first. Eleven <laughs> listeners, Brian. Well, remember, there's well, that's eight. only if mom knows how to work the podcast. <laughs> and there's eight children in my family. So, you know. All right, Tom, put on your seatbelt. Here we go. Are you ready? I uh, know <laughs> your favorite ice cream flavor. Pistachio. No question. First live concert that you attended. Peter, Paul and Mary in college. Buff the magic dragon. <laughs> well, that and uh, the great Mandela. Place in the world you've never traveled to. You'd like to be. Let's say Iguazu Falls, the tallest falls in the world. I think it's where Brazil and uh, Paraguay and Argentina meet. Favorite meal? Oh, Denny's Grand Slam. You just can't beat it. You get sausage and bacon and two scrambled eggs. And if you ask for cheese, they don't charge any extra. That's it's, not only the that's not only the fastest answer we've ever had, but the most complete answer to that question, John. <laughs> oh yeah. And and anywhere in the state you, you want to go in, Brian, you just say Grand Slam. And Denny's is always open. They don't have locks on Denny's doors. The menu's the same and there's pictures. So you can just point to what you want. Um, what's your best impersonation? Best I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. This is uh, no. Uh, it's, that is one political third rail. Uh, I will not go. But I will say um, my, my ancestry is half Irish uh, and, and St. Patrick's Day is approaching. The ability to, to sing Irish songs and particularly songs longing for the old country might, might lead a little bit of an Irish to come out. It might just happen. <laughs> Favorite movie? Oh, Chariots of Fire. Just superb. His answers are remarkably quick. You know, a lot of people we ask these questions to and they ask like they think they're on a game show and they're going to win $100,000. They sit there and they <laughs> ponder well, it. And when they, I'm not, I, 
I'm like, I'm not, there's no wrong answer, man. Answer any way you want. Have you but seen I thought, his resume? Have you seen his resume? I came on the show because you were promising me a hundred thousand. I don't, I don't get it. A uh, hundred thousand. Thank yous. Tom, what are you reading right now? What are you reading? I'm reading the uh, white Nile, which is an account of the explorers and the countries that are the colonial history. And then the modern day implications of the colonial history of the world's longest river. First job. First job, I uh, was at the information desk of the Civic Center in the city of Chicago when I was in high school. And I was <laughs> telling people, including lawyers, uh, what, what floor the courtrooms were on and tourists uh, where to get tourist information. Your COVID getaway moment. Like, what was the thing that you just enjoyed doing during COVID as a, like, just take a breath? Growing grapes. So uh, my wife and I, at a vineyard in Temecula. And when COVID hit, we tended our grapes. Otherwise, we stayed with, with each other. Wonderful time with my wife. Uh, and we watched our grapes grow and uh, sold them to the local wineries. Tom, you've been a wonderful guest. I really want to thank you so much for playing along with that part. You were outstanding. You are our best guest ever for the lightning round of questions. I, I got to say that. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. We'll be seeing and you were an outstanding guest otherwise also. So we really enjoyed spending the time with you today, Tom. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much, John. Hey, Tom, thanks so much. We hope to see you back here or at least in the last five minutes of Family Feud sometime soon. Very good. Thank uh, you all. Thanks for listening to Cabot Talks. If you liked what you heard, give us a positive review, a thumbs up, a high five, whatever. Leave a comment, share, and subscribe. We're two brothers, two opinions, one California. Capitalism.